The A5 Dis team has created a podcast to empower you, the learners we serve. This podcast features conversations that illuminate the topics that are important to you. It is our hope that you will walk away with new tips, tricks, and ideas to inspire you as a whole educator. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. What's up, guys? I'm Adam Cobb. And I'm Ashley Pursley. And you're listening to iTalks. If you're an ed tech junkie, you may already know who we're talking to today. He's the EduGIF guy, speaker, tech integration specialist, Google for education trainer, nerd, EduDuctape podcast host. He's Jake Miller. Well, welcome, Jake. Now, I want to clarify something that Ashley said in your bio for just a second. Is it GIF <laughs> yeah, or I is it GIF? <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, it's GIF. And I'll t- I'll, I, I don't judge people that say GIF, though. You're, you're allowed to say GIF if you want to. But it's, it's definitely GIF. It's not, it, it stands for graphics. It's got to be GIF, right? It's a hard okay. G. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, Jake, uh, st- let's start off by you telling us just a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I think uh, Ashley hit it on the head, hit the nail on the head with that that description there, and, and included things like geek and nerd in there because I just I, I get so excited about education and educational technology, and I mean that really is how I've gotten to where I am right now and doing this on a Saturday morning with you guys right now is because like I, I geek out about this stuff and I'm a little bit nerdy about this stuff because I'm so excited about what educational technology can do for our learners, but I think more importantly what it could do for our teachers because I think it makes if if we use it effectively, it makes us more efficient. It makes our job easier, but also more effective in the process, which is efficiency right there. Um, and so that's that's what I tend to talk about. Now, I started off just in the classroom, uh, came out of college, taught math at first, and I, I spent 12 years bouncing around from topic to subject area to subject area, math, and then science, uh, math of different grades, and then STEM, and then I moved on to tech coaching. And, and throughout that process, before the tech coaching, I got more and more excited about what the tech could do for my learners uh, in my classroom. And then I started helping teachers do it. And then I found that I, my passion really was um, supporting teachers and using uh, educational technology. You know, we all talk as teachers about how that light bulb moment when we see a student finally get something we're trying to teach feels so good. And I agree that feels great, but I get the bigger excitement out of seeing a teacher realize, oh, I can use this technology. Like, I, even though I was scared of it, I am able to do it. And that's something that I get really excited about. So, so I, my career kind of t- took, took a, a second life, you know, so I still work in the classroom. I'm still an eighth grade science teacher here in Ohio. Uh, but I also do things like the educational duct tape podcast and things like that on the side to help educators use technology in the classroom. Cause like I said, that's something that I get really excited about is seeing an educator who thought maybe they weren't going to be able to use technology seeing them discover that, hey, they can do it and it is good for their classroom and it does make things easier for them and more exciting for their su- students too. As avid listeners of the Take podcast ourselves, we kind of know where the title originated. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but why duct tape? Why is that kind of your mantra? <laughs> so it's it's my idea that uh, that educational technology is at its best when it's not the goal or the focus of what we're doing in the classroom, but it's a tool that we're using. And I, I like to tell a story on the podcast and when I speak uh, and, and in my book about how 
Uh, duct tape is a tool that I've used for multiple different problems in my life over the years, as most people have used duct tape for some crazy solution and create some crazy situation before. It's a tool that we use to solve a problem. And I think educational technology is exactly the same. It's a tool that we use to solve a problem, meet a goal or address a learning standard. And duct tape is something that as I as I tell a story about I've used to patch a hole in a bounce house for my kids before it's not the thing that I was using that day. It's the tool that I use to make it successful. And a lot of the times technology isn't the focus the focus is uh, the Civil War or solving two step linear equations or the water cycle and technology is the thing that helps us get there. So why did you choose a podcast to kind of reach out to teachers and educators as a whole? What was the whole premise behind that when you got started? Uh, well, first of all, I, I love listening to podcasts. I'm, I'm a big podcast junkie. I I used to be, I still am a huge music fan. Like if I took my camera, you guys could see my, my office area here and panned around the room, you'd see a bunch of concert posters around me. Uh, and I'm a big, big music junkie, but I don't, I rarely listen to music now because I just listen to podcasts. Like I love podcasts. So I, when I thought about trying to share with more educators, that was the first thing I thought about. Um, but I, I like that it gives me, I, I was making a lot of stuff on Twitter at the time, like those edu gifts that we talked about before that shared maybe here's how you use Google Forms or here's how you use Flipgrid or here's how you use Google Classroom. And I saw those helping educators, but they were making me be really just the guy who, who shared how to use an educational technology tool. And I really wanted to go beyond that about how it supports the teacher. And I, I was thinking to myself, I, I need to talk to the educator. I can't just share them a tip. I need to actually, I need them to hear maybe my reasoning for why you might use it. And I was like, well, it's gotta be a podcast. Uh, and it kind of became a natural match between what I wanted to communicate to them and what I loved, which was listening to podcasts. So what success stories have you heard? I think we're we're kind of a product of your, of your success um, with your podcast. We love listening, gaining ideas, using it in our classrooms. And we'll talk a little more about that um, in a few minutes. But what success stories have you heard from the Edu Duct Tape podcast that maybe you've sparked um, in an episode? Uh, so, what, so one thing I love about when I hear from a listener, and I, that's also another thing I love about podcasts, is it connects you so so much to the people who listen. Um, you know, because you're, my, my voice is in their earbuds when I'm talking to them, right? So we, we develop this connection. Um, but one thing I love when I hear back from them is that sometimes the things that they've learned or taken away maybe are more from the message of using the technology as a tool rather than just the technology we're talking about. And other times it's actually about the technology we're talking about. Uh, but I, I get to hear a lot from listeners on on Twitter. And sometimes I have like voice messages for the show and things like that. And every season at the end of the year, um, we do a duct taper success story, I call it, where if you learn something on the show and you put it in practice in your classroom, you send in a recording of it. And I, I play it on the podcast so everybody can hear about it. Uh, but I, I've gotten to hear about lots of different things. And sometimes they're, they're from, oh, I was presenting to my school board or presenting to my teachers or doing a professional development about technology. And we talked about the educational duct tape mindset, or we talked about this idea of the adjacent possible that you talk about, or we talked about whatever kind of mindset kind of things that you talk about, and they helped us frame the way we're using technology. And other times it's, hey, Jake, you talked about choice boards in this episode, and I used the choice board last week in class, and it went amazing. And those are my favorite parts, right? Because they're, they're like the it's like with our students, right? We teach them how to multiply or we teach them how to simplify fractions or we teach them how to write a good paragraph. 
and then they leave our class at the end of the year and we're like i wonder if they could still multiply (laughs) (laughs) you know do you think they still write a good paragraph and we never get to hear about it right and they never come back and say like hey mr miller like i'm really knocking out of the park on multiplication thanks for your help with that (laughs) right but sometimes with the podcast i get to hear back from an educator that says um, I'm now using Flipgrid and hearing from all my students and it's going great. Thank you for sharing about it on the podcast. And it's really neat to be able to see that process go through the end. And uh, it, with, with social media, I, I get to hear about it so much and so often. It's so cool getting to hear about it. So we kind of talked about how you impact your listeners and that conversation that you have with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Is it a two-way street? How have you grown as an educator yourself in having others share with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, I've grown in my ability to convey a message to them and my ability to uh, understand what the what the listener and what the educator wants to hear about, right? Just like we grow as teachers, we we learn what resonates with our learners and what works with our learners. And I've kind of learned that too, you know, for for like my my speaking events, like when I go travel and speak, I have a better idea of what my what my audience is going to want to hear based on what the podcast listener wants to hear too. Uh, but also just talking to the educators that I have on the show, uh, I gain amazing ideas from them. I, I've just at the time that we're recording this, I've just had two straight interviews for the podcast where the um, guest who was on taught me a tool that I had never heard of. I had uh, Sam Carey on and he taught me about Actively Learn. And I've heard of Actively Learn, but I've never once used it. And he taught me about it. And before that, I had on uh, Dr. Desiree Alexander and she taught me about Razor Arts as a a video tool where you could add questions into it. I had never, never heard that term mentioned. And so by having these people on, I hear their ideas. And other times I just hearing their perspective of how they might use a tool that I use one way. And they're like, Oh, I'd use this for that. And I'm like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. And it's that idea that the different perspectives we take to things um, can bring different ideas in. And if we, if we never hear those from other people, you know, we're losing out on, on some potential really cool things that might happen in our classroom. And that's why, that's why those conversations that happen in the hallways at a, at a conference or maybe in something like a, um, I forget the name of the, I'm blanking on the name of the conferences where you go and you set the schedule when you get there and you, you talk Ed about, camp. Yeah. an Ed camp, you go to an Ed camp and you, you hear things from other people's perspectives. You grow so much from that because they're bringing a different mindset to it than you bring to it. So yeah, I've learned an immense amount and grown an immense amount from the conversations we've had on the show, both with the, uh, the, the guests and with people that call in or send me messages, they might send me a message on Twitter after an episode airs and says, Hey, I love this idea. What, what if you tried it this way, you know, or what if you did this? And I'm like, Oh, that's a really cool idea. Like I never thought of that. And so, yeah, lots of stuff come out of those conversations for sure. Awesome. You know, I kind of want to unpack that because the idea of taking an idea and building on other Mm -hmm. ideas sounds a lot like the adjacent possible. (laughs) And I see something in the back corner of your room. I'm wondering if you just like brought it with you or if it kind of followed you here you think you could kind of hop up on that uh, soapbox over there <laughs> and tell us a little bit more about the adjacent possible? What is it? Yeah, so adjacent possible, I I have. A, it's funny because I added to to the list this morning. I have a Google Keep list in my phone of any time I and, and teachers do this too. I think when when I when we see something out there in the world that makes us go like, oh, this applies to the work I do, right? Um, and we see like this could be a lesson or this could be an activity we do in class. Well, I do it about what I call a soapbox moment, right? Which is the soapbox you're seeing back here in the corner. Here it is right here uh, that, that I, I tend to step up on uh, mid episode, every, every regular episode of my podcast. And that's an opportunity in my podcast for me 
to just talk to talk directly into the ears of the educator. I'm not interviewing somebody. I am just saying that this is a message that I want everybody to hear. So I stand up nice and tall on my soapbox and yell it out for everybody to hear it. And it's normally about the mindset that we should bring to educational technology integration. And one of the ones I did early on was about the adjacent possible. And so I heard about the adjacent possible from, you actually might've seen two things that related to this uh, out of the corner of my screen. One is uh, the book by uh, George Koros, Innovator's mm -hmm. Mindset. And he mentions the, the uh, adjacent possible in that. And that's where I first heard of it. And then I kind of did a deep dive into where it came from because it came from a couple of different places. George Koros brought out the ideas that we might have are affected by the ideas that we're exposing ourselves to. So I, in, in a soapbox moment on the show, applied that to the way that we in integrate technology, right? The way that I might use, say, Pear Deck in my classroom is impacted by the way that I see others use Pear Deck in, in the classroom, the way that I've taught lessons in the past the way that somebody used Pear Deck in a professional development session that I attended, the way that somebody talks about it on a podcast I listen to. And it's also impacted by the way that I use it yesterday, right? So when I try one new thing out and then I reflect on it, it might lead to me using it in different ways in the future. So the adjacent possible to me is the idea that the things that are potential for us, the things that are possible for us are impacted by what's adjacent to us. And those things are what we've done, but also what we've exposed ourselves to and who we've exposed ourselves to and what we've tried. But it's also who we've exposed to our own ideas. Because if I say to the teacher next door to me, hey, I used Pear Deck this way today, he might say, oh, that's interesting. What if you try doing this, right? Because then that takes my own idea and exposes it to somebody else's perspective. And then that might open up a new adjacent possibility for, for me. And it most likely will uh, because, because I'm seeing things from somebody else's perspective. And without those perspectives, you know, we're limiting, we're limiting what's possible for us by not putting something adjacent to it, you know, not, not making, bringing in another adjacent possibility. So it's the idea that what's possible for us is expanded by what we expose those ideas to and we expose ourselves to. One of the things that I hear you talking about is that it's important to share. And oftentimes teachers, especially in elementary, that's my background, often don't want to share. It's almost like an inner competition in the hallways. Like, let me outdo you in this lesson or even within grade levels. So why is it important that we rid of that idea of it's a competition? Because, I mean, it seems like everybody's competing for teacher of the year or something. Um, why is it important that we rid teachers' mindset that I can't share with my teammate next door, or if I'm doing a room transformation, I have to beat this person doing a room transformation, or if I'm using Nearpod first, they can't use it. Why is it important that we rid that idea of competition with our teachers so that the adjacent possible can happen? Yeah, well, I think I think teaching, first of all, especially within a school building, is a team sport. We're we're all trying to to further the education of those learners that are in our in our building. So. So we all benefit from the success of the people around us d directly, right? We, we want those learners to not just have one good year as they come through our school year. We want them to have five good years or however many years they're in within our building in that school. So, so first of all, we, we want the best to happen in all the classrooms, but also our, like, like that, that's the adjacent possible right there. Our, our effectiveness is improved by who gives us feedback on it, who gives us their ideas and takes on it, and who, whose ideas we see. Uh, so if we're not exposing ourselves to those, you know, we're we're losing out on a, a gold mine of of possibilities for our classrooms. Um, I remember when when I was a tech coach, you know, I'm in the science classroom currently. But when I was tech coaching, I tried to get started uh, pineapple charts at my at my school. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but it's the idea that 
you have a chart somewhere in your school and you might write on there, today I'm using Flipgrid uh, from 10 o'clock to 10.30. If you'd like to check it out, come on in. I'd love some feedback on how it goes. And also you might want to see if you want to use it, right? Or today I'm doing project-based learning. This is my first time. I'd love some feedback. And that idea of somebody coming in and observing you doing that. So that, that's the idea is your, your colleagues might go like, oh, I, I'm free then. I'm going to come in and see it. Um, that idea is that they come in and they develop some ideas from it. Uh, but also you get some good quality feedback from them afterwards. And, and it opens up that, you know, the safety around that. Uh, and it, it, it took off like a lead balloon when I tried to start at my school because nobody was comfortable doing that, right? I think also the teachers maybe didn't feel like they had time to do that, right? They might not have felt like they had the planning time available. And I certainly feel that in my own role. But I think also there's a, I, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know that it's what you, what you were saying, Adam, where they feel like they're protecting their own ideas. They feel exposed. They feel like, like it's a risk. Like they feel like they don't want the judgment of others coming into the in, in, coming to them. They don't want to be observed by somebody else that's on the same playing field as them. And I don't I don't know how to remedy that except for for us all to understand that we're all we we are all in a constant state of trying to improve. We're like none of us are at our our peak as an educator. I hope we're all trying to continuously get better. And if we bring other people's voices and opinions and perspectives in then we're we're bound to improve based off of that. Even if we're the better educator in the room compared to the other person, they still bring a different perspective to it. I think that's so cool. You know, there's lots of sites and things out there now that allow teachers to collaborate. So mm -hmm. I'm going to get on my soapbox for mm -hmm. a minute with you and just ask your opinion. There's Teachers Pay Teachers with full plethora of these grab and go lessons and materials and you can almost make a teacher feel like you know a kid in a candy store oh let me grab this let me grab that let me grab this so i'm going to ask you several questions around this um <laughs> what is your opinion on teachers using those ideas and materials from sites such as teachers pay teachers does this stifle creativity is it the adjacent possible does it limit what teachers can do so I, th I think, first of all, the teachers who put stuff up on there, I think there's a little bit uh, in the education system of of bashing some of the teachers that put things on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, and I feel like I come down kind of in the middle on that. I, I feel like if they're doing amazing work, they deserve to be, be rewarded for it. And so I'm comfortable with people putting things up there. What I, what I get uncomfortable with is when I get on there and I see things that are subpar pedagogical activities with really cute graphics on them. And I feel like no, for, you shouldn't be doing that in your classroom. Worse yet, should it be, you be charging somebody else for it? And worse <laughs> yet, should that person be paying you for it? Uh, that's what I get frustrated with on there. But when there's really good, uh, there is gold on there, right? Oh, there are some really good activities on there. And I feel like that person deserves to be rewarded for it. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily bad for a teacher to use somebody else's work. I, mean, I, I know. So, so this is this, this past year that just wrapped up, uh, was my first year of teaching eighth grade science since 2011. And I taught it for one year in 2011. And then I taught it again in 2020. Right. And so <laughs> the, the, and the curriculum had changed, the content standards had changed, the technology wasn't even recognizable during that 10 year. It's changed, you know, from what I use in 2010 or 2011 and what I use now. So I, I had to steal a lot from the guy I replaced and the guy that also taught it at my grade level and the teachers that taught it in the district I used to work at. But I didn't use, not one of their activities that I stole from them 
did I use in the same exact state that they used it? I took their activities. I dog fooded them. You know the term dog fooded? Mm-hmm. The, the idea of of like you, you wouldn't feed something to your to your to your kids without trying it first, right? Yet uh, with our dogs, right? We're like, here's your dog food. Um, so dog fooding, <laughs> dog fooding is the idea of if you're going to try something in your classroom, then you should try it first, right? You should run through that worksheet or you should run through that activity and see how that activity feels. Or you should try that homework assignment, see if it's a an appropriate homework assignment to be asking of your students. So I would take this activity from one of those colleagues who had taught it before and I would run through it as if I was the student. And while I went through it, I, I applied my own adjacent possible to it, right? I went like, whoo, I would have asked this question here. Or, ooh, I feel like we jumped over a concept here. I feel like I need to add some, add a step into here to make that, to, to reach the learners and, and the, the minds in my classroom the way that I know works best. So I think the ideal is to take one of those fantastic activities from a site like Teachers Pay Teachers or there's Teachers Give Teachers, right, which is the kind of the free version of it. Um, take it and try it out first. And it doesn't mean you have to, like if it's a 50 minute activity, it doesn't mean you have to spend 50 minutes on it. You know, you spend 15 on it, you know, giving a quick run through, you know, with the, from the perspective of a student and take your spin on it. And then that's what your students get is your version of that, your remix of it, right? It, it, it's literally a remix. And that's, again, that's adjacent possible. That's us taking the great educational ideas of a colleague or maybe somebody we don't know that's online and putting our own perspective to it, taking it from our own lens. Um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? But we also don't want to just trust that somebody else's wheel is perfect for our car or our students in this situation. We don't want to say like, hey, work for them. It'll work for us and just put it in there. Um, my own kid, uh, I have three kids at home. And one of them, three kids at home. That sounds like a w- weird way to say I have three children. <laughs> three kids at home. I don't know where they came from. There's three of them. They just, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have three kids. And the oldest of them was doing a, uh, a packet for an activity for class. And it was running him through a project. It was kind of an independent research project. And it all seemed, it all made sense. And it all like, seemed like a really good activity. And then all of a sudden, there was this page that I felt like just like, didn't fit. And it seemed like it came out of nowhere. And it didn't fit the lens of the rest of the project. And I, and I feel like it like, came out of left field, as they say. And he was confused by it. And that's why I saw it because he brought it to me. He's like, I don't know what to do on this page. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it flowed with the rest of the project. He's like, I know. He's like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. And and yeah, I looked at the characters that were on that page. I was like, oh, this is a teacher's pay teacher sheet. And it was clear that the teacher had just like taken that page, copied it and put it into the packet. And I think that's the downside is doing that. Mm-hmm. Now I yeah, want to well, know what you I want to know what you think, Adam. Well, you're right. As was just in our transition, I was going to say is welcome to my soapbox. Um, okay. you're, you're right <laughs> up here. We're standing out there together. <laughs> yeah, I wanted you know our listeners to hear that from you that mm-hmm. you know we're not just talking blindly here. They need that's what they need to do. You know, don't just don't just take it to a copy machine, copy it and use it. Right. I'm Tom Wilson, Anderson School District Five Superintendent, and you're listening to iTalks. We'll be right back after this short message. I think kind of our next thing Ashley wants to hit on yeah. uh, just blends right okay. in with that. Um, so I definitely, you know, thinking about the adjacent possible and the idea that when you're in a te- when you're a teacher in a classroom, your world is your students and your classroom. And sometimes it can be hard to see that adjacent possible. And it got me wondering, you know, is the adjacent possible a skill that you can develop? 
Um, and if so, what can we do to facilitate and accelerate that exploration for our teachers? Hmm, yeah, and I think I think for the first question, yes, it definitely is a skill that we could develop by by doing it, right? I think most anything is that way. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, and, but I think the the hardest thing about tapping into that adjacent possible, which which again is the idea of at least at least in the the from the lens you're talking about here, being able to talk to and share with other educators and get their feedback on things and give them feedback on things and share with each other. I think the biggest step that needs to be taken is is normalizing that and making mm -hmm. it feel safe, right? That's mm -hmm. the that's the hardest part about it. It's not that teachers don't want to talk about lessons and activities. We're proud of what we do in our classrooms, mm -hmm. right? Like when I when I hang out with the teachers in my hallway, um, I, I'm not. It, it's not like I don't want to tell them what I'm doing in my classroom because I don't like it or something, right? I'm proud yeah. of what I'm doing sometimes. Or sometimes there's things that I'm not proud of what I'm doing because I didn't have time to do something even better. And I knew that maybe I was putting out something that was subpar. It was the best I could do in the time that I had. And I'd love some help on it, right? But it's not that I, I don't talk about it because because I'm embarrassed by it. Or I, 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 don't, I, I guess the thing is that we we don't tend to talk about those things because it's not normalized in our profession mm -hmm. to do so, right? We don't feel safe to do so. Mm -hmm. We feel like there's, um, I don't know, there's, there's judgment there. There's, um, it, it feels like it's admitting that we're imperfect when we do mm -hmm. it. Right. And it feels like a, a risky thing that we just don't do. And I think, I, I don't think it's like, it's not a teacher's fault that they feel that way. Um, it's, I think it's somewhat societal and cultural, right? Where we're, not just in our teaching culture, but in our in our world as adults, like we're almost expected to to not admit imperfections, right? We're expected to to do what we're what we're perfect at and and not admit anything else, right? And not seek help for things. You know, it reminds me of what happens in our classrooms. I'm taking taking myself on a tangent here with with an assessment with our students. A a test to our students feels like an an end, right? an endpoint and not something that they could grow from. It feels like a necessary evil where they really just have to prove to their teacher that they could do a thing. And then it goes away and they never have to do that thing again. Right. And there's no potential for them to learn from what they did on that thing. And if they don't get a hundred percent, they just look to see what they missed. They look to see if their teacher graded them unfairly and if their mm -hmm. teacher marked anything wrong that they shouldn't have. And then they worry about, are their parents going to be happy with the grade they got? And then it's over. That test is gone after that. And I think that's the way an observation also often feels for us as teachers. It doesn't feel like a step in the process of improvement. It feels like an end to a process of an observation cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is part of a culture that tells us that being observed and identifying areas for us to grow in our classroom um, is is not a part of growth, but it's just, it's just this thing that we do, right? So I think we have to normalize being able to admit our weaknesses in our classrooms and find ways to grow on them. Um, I certainly know, you know, last school year, especially teaching remote and concurrent and stuff like that, I, I was not perfect. I was not even close to perfect, right? And if I had had a teacher that sat down with me and said, hey, I really struggled with how to do formative assessment in this setting. And I'd say, oh, I feel like I was really good at that. Here's what I did. Uh, but what I really struggled with was how to do group work in that setting, right? And then we talked through that. And they said, oh, I, maybe I was really good at that, right? And then, or maybe they weren't, but they had some ideas too, and we could use them together. I feel like we have to make that feel safe, 
-hmm. in our schools and in our classrooms and in our hallways and in our lounges. And I don't know what steps there are to take to do that, except for modeling it, right? And and being a person who feels safe sharing it ourselves. And then mm -hmm. hopefully we could build that culture as we go through it. But it, it's it's much like it's it's much like the difference between formatively assessing our students and summatively assessing our students. If we see everything we do in our classrooms as a formative assessment of ourselves that we can improve on, you know, then we start to feel safe to admit where we can improve. If if we're reflecting and and feeling safe and identifying areas to grow in, then hopefully that makes us feel safer to talk to the people around us about it too. That's awesome. I'm going to take you into another perspective. What about with our students? You know, our students, we're trying to prepare them for college and career readiness. Mm -hmm. So what, um, what are some things that we can do to build and promote the skill of seeing or being aware of the adjacent possible in our students? I think about a professional development session that I attended with Jed Dearyberry, and one of the first things that he made us or asked us to do was he gave us all a ruler and he said, um, you know, what is this? And we all said a ruler. And he mm -hmm. said, well, now I want you to come up with a list of a hundred or however many you can different uses for that particular ruler. So are there small activities that we can do in the first 10 minutes of class or mm -hmm. so like that to help build that skill for our students who are going into college and career readiness. I, I, so I bet what happened there was you came up with six or seven, right? But but Adam <laughs> came up with six or seven different ones, right? And right. somebody else came up with, with five other ones. And, and you saw some overlaps, but then some, as, as you work together, you saw uh, a, a longer list. And that's, that's kind of what our students need to see is that from other people's perspective, there's, there's other good ideas and other good ways of going about the problem, right? And uh, so one thing I do in my classroom, I use Pear Deck a lot. I'm a big Pear Deck fan. I also love Nearpod. They're, they're pretty much the same tool, just from two different companies. And I love both of them. And what a tool like that does, and there are others that can kind of tap into this too, is it lets every student respond and lets the teacher assess every student formatively, right? And see the, see the input from the student. But then it also lets the teacher share that out to the class, mm -hmm. right? So if it's, a, if it's a content area question, and uh, let, let's say I'm a math teacher. I'm, I used to be, but I'm not. Um, and I give them a problem to solve. And I look at the responses in the Pear Deck. First of all, I know who gets it and who doesn't. And I know if I can move on with the lesson or not, or if I need to reteach it, or if I need to do another problem like it. Um, but I also can look at those responses and see different ways of attacking the problem, right? Maybe these students shared it, did it that way, and these students did it that way, and this student did it that way. And so I could share one of each of those with the whole class, right? And you just click a star in Pear Deck and you click show responses. And those are the three responses that pop up. And I could say, well, I really love the way Adam did this problem. Look at what Adam did. What do you guys think of this, right? And then I could say, look, here's what Ashley did. Look at the way Ashley attacked this problem. See how she took a different perspective on it? What do you think mm -hmm. of that way? And then I'm doing a couple things by doing that, right? I'm teaching multiple different ways to solve the problem, which is great. I'm also celebrating the fact that different people do things different ways and there's value in it. Um, I'm applauding those students who did those things. So, and, and I'm normalizing the idea that we can all attack a, a problem in a different way and come up with a different solution. So I think it mm -hmm. celebrates that, that helps us see the perspectives of the people around us as valuable. Uh, whereas if I don't take that step, if I don't go the extra step of showing each other's perspectives, then all that I'm doing is showing 
that it's important for that kid to get that right answer, right? It's important for you to know how to do this, this problem, but it's not important for you to know how everybody else does it too, right? Mm -hmm. But if we take that other step, then we see that it's important to do that. And that doesn't have to just be a math way of doing things that could be work in other other classrooms too. Um, one thing I do at the beginning of class, I, I like to start my classes off fun. I, I don't like to get right into the content. I'm not the teacher who starts with a, this is a standardized test problem that we're all going to practice as class starts. I, I'm not, I don't want to shame anybody who does that, but I start off with fun activities. Uh, I'll start off in Pear Deck with a, a, a my, my students' very favorite is I'll put a scribble on the screen and give them five minutes to complete the squiggle and turn it into something different. And then I show every drawing to the class and we have a blast looking at them and laughing at them and trying to figure who drew what. And it, it builds a lot of rapport by doing it because we're like, oh, you drew a dragon. You always draw a dragon. That's got to be so and so. Or, oh, this one like has, has flowers and birds and stuff like this and a butterfly. This has got to be so and so. She always draws cute stuff like that. And we get to know each other. But also that also, I think celebrates the perspectives in our room where we kind of care what everybody else said and we and we see the value in each other's perspectives too so it doesn't just have to be content related to do it you know mm, yeah absolutely now um you said earlier you mentioned you know teachers stepping outside of their classroom even if it's just having a conversation in the hallway um exposing yourself to other perspectives and i wonder you know education can almost you can almost think of it, or a lot of times we feel siloed in the society, social world, but what kind of impact could we have by stepping outside of the education world and maybe reading a book that doesn't even relate to education, mm. but with you and your perspective, you can then apply it to education. So, uh, yeah, I do that a lot. I, there's, if you look, the people listen to the podcast, I do this a lot on my show too. Like you can see, if you look at me right now and they're like listening, they're like, I can't see you at all, Jake. Like I've been doing podcasting now for over three years and I still try to <laughs> reference things that are on video. Um, but if you, if you guys look at the books that are over my shoulder right here, there are a lot of education books on that shelf. And there are a lot of books that I consider to be education books that aren't actually education books. So my favorite book that it impacts the way I work in my classroom is Drive by Daniel Pink. And he didn't write it as an as a book for teacher. He, he wrote it as a book about this is how uh, we motivate humans. This is how human motivation works, right? And I think it applies a lot to what I do in teaching. I, I read a lot of books by um, Seth Godin. I listen to his podcast and I read his blog. And Seth Godin is, he does talk about education sometimes, but he's a, a marketing guy, right? And I think his perspective tells us a lot about how we quote unquote, market our ideas to our students, right? And so I think there's a lot of listening to and reading and exposing ourselves to ideas that are not necessarily geared towards education, but bring a lot in to us for education, right? And that could be things that are about learning or motivation or the mind. Like I, I like the Hidden Brain podcast, mm -hmm. you know, is is not de definitely for teachers, but it, it talks about the way our brain works and the way we think about things. Um, I like a lot of TED Talks, which kind of do the same thing, right? But there's also looking at things that aren't even learning related or motivation related or thinking related and thinking about the way that they work, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, like we talked earlier about edu-gifts and I started making edu-gifts instead of videos, because I experienced 
the way that I watched the video about tater tot casserole that came up on my Facebook feed one day. This video of tater tot casserole being cooked. It was a recipe for tater tot casserole. It played. It auto played. It didn't have. It didn't need audio. There was text on the screen. It moved really fast. It looped at the end, and I found myself like enthralled by this video about making tater tot casserole even though mm. my wife already cooks tater tot casserole and it's delicious i don't need we don't need the recipe but i watched this recipe and i went hey this is how i could do tech tips mm. if i can harness this this way that they did their tater tot casserole recipe i could get people to watch my tech tips and, and learn technology for their classroom and we as teachers, I feel like just naturally do that, right? We go, we go to a place and we, we see something happening at a store or a restaurant or a museum or wherever we're at. And we're like, Ooh, this could make a really good activity for our classrooms. Right. But mm -hmm. I think it also can be a professional development thing too, with those books or those podcasts or those Ted talks or those YouTube videos or whatever they might be. Our brains, if, if you're, if you're an educator, your brain always has a little bit of education happening in the background, right? That little educator is always still in there thinking about things. So one of the things you're mentioning is diving into a really good book. And I think you know where we're segueing here. Um, I was excited to see your announcement on YouTube about your coming book um, with Elevate Books. Yeah. And uh, so we want to give you a second to talk about that um, and just let us know what can we expect from the book? Is it going to be a podcast in written form or is there going to be much, much more to it um, that we're excited to put in our Amazon carts? Yes. And actually, by the time this is airing, I think the book should be out there. The people that are listening are like, wait a minute, they're not recording this live as I'm listening to it right now. Um, but Surprise. yeah, so the, the book has been a long, long, long process. Uh, and it actually was part of what the podcast started for. I, I wanted a platform for me to work on my ideas and start to formulate those ideas. It, the, the podcast has been, um, you know, 10,000 hours of brainstorming is essentially what it's been for the book. And so the, the book features kind of two of the things that are that are integral to the podcast. One is every chapter kind of feels a little bit like a soapbox moment from the podcast. Uh, it's me telling an anecdote or a story. Um, hopefully the reader chuckles while they're reading it. Um, and by the end of that chapter, they've they've left with with kind of a mindset takeaway to impact the way they do things in their classroom. And those portions of the chapter might not even mention any specific technologies. They just help the reader hopefully get to a place where they feel more equipped to then select and use a technology. Right. And then the second half of every chapter feels a little bit more like the main part of one of my podcast episodes, which is where I ask myself a question. There's no guest in the book. I ask myself a question that a teacher might have, and then I run through a series of possible answers. So I might say, what's a way that we can assess students uh, while delivering a lesson? And then in that chapter, I'll go through how Pear Deck works, how Nearpod works, how um, Classroom Kick works, how whiteboard.chat works and kind of compare the tools and give give some bullet points about what each each one does. And I, I also as I was developing it, I really wanted to I, I want the reader my, my goal reader is an educator who knows that educational technology can be good for their students, who wants to do what's best for their students, who wants to continuously improve, but is mainly maybe feeling a little bit scared of doing it and, and feeling a little bit intimidated by the process. So my hope is that when they read that first half of the chapter, it helps them not feel so scared and feel like they could do it. And when they read the second part of the chapter, I want it to feel almost like a uh, like a hyperdoc, right? It starts off by saying, is this question that I've just posed to myself 
is this a goal of yours? Is this something you need to work on? If you need to work on it, do you need to work on it now? Or is it maybe a, yeah, this is a someday task for me, right? And there's actually spots in there for the author or for the reader to write to check yes or no, right? And then when do I need to work on this? And what, what, and then I ask them, what will this look like in your classroom? So, so if formative assessment is a goal for yours, what's your ideal version of formative assessment? And hopefully they're thinking, do I just want multiple choice? Maybe I do. Or do I want to see their thinking or do I want to hear their thinking? Like, what does formative assessment look like in my ideal setting? And then once they have that, that idea in their head of what it will look like for them, I say, okay, here are seven tools and here's what these seven tools do. And hopefully they're looking at those seven tools with their mindset set on what they really need. And then at the end, I say, and there's, a, there's another like worksheet kind of page that says, okay, are you going to do any of these? Which ones? And when are you going to do them? And they're allowed to say, no, I don't need any of these. Because that, that's the way tech integration should go is identifying what we need to do in our classroom and identifying what, what that is and pushing away the things we don't need to do. Some of us are rock stars at certain things in our classrooms, and so we don't need to worry about improving those. We have other things that we need to worry about improving, and that's what we need to focus on. So my goal is I make, I make them feel able to improve those things in their classroom. I help them identify what those things are. Then I say, okay, here's the tools that you could use, and then I ask them, are you going to use any of these tools now? And, or are you gonna use some of them later? And then uh, the book also has a website uh, companion piece uh, that then shares some curated resources for learning about wow. those things. So if you read that section, you went, okay, Jake's right. I need to use Pear Deck in my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go over to his website and watch some videos about Pear Deck. And some of those videos are from me. Uh, and some of those are just curated resources where I'm like, oh, th this Sam Carey's really got got this video down. You know, this is the one for me. Or or Sethi DeClerc has a perfect video for this. Or Eric Kurth has a perfect video for this. And I curate those and say, these are the resources to learn to use those tools. So hopefully I take them from knowing that technology is good for their, their students to believing that they could do it, to identifying what the goal is, to identifying what the tool is, to saying, yes, I'm going to do this, to here's, here's your assistance in doing it. And hopefully by the end of the classroom, we're all rock stars in our classrooms. We already are, but hopefully by the end, we're even more, more rock stars. <laughs> and I, I think without a doubt, Jake, it, you are going to be the beginning of an adjacent possible for so many educators. Thank you for everything that you do. Um, to all of our A5 iTalks listeners, if you want to learn more about EduGifts, Ashley, gift, Tape podcast, the adjacent possible, or even Jake's book, you can access our show notes and resources um, here on the A5 iTalks page. Jake Miller, thank you so much for joining Ashley and I on behalf of the A5 iTalks team and Anderson School District 5. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you guys for what you do too. This concludes another great episode of iTalks, produced by the Anderson School District 5 Digital Integration Specialist. Want to learn more? Check out the show notes and resources on bit.ly forward slash A5 iTalks.